All right, Chandler, you've silenced all your devices? Silenced. Okay, good, because we had that issue with someone else when they were camera boy before. You know, and now, funny enough, they're on the show. Kyle Larson, welcome to the show. What's up? <laughs> hey, it's good to have you, dude. Um, you know, especially now because you are a lot more of a part of what we're doing. So, like, this is kind of a good intro for people to get to meet you and see you are now officially Bushwhacker 3. Um, so, it'll be fun to, to kind of get to talk about who you are, what you do. People can get to know you and then also what we have planned and yeah. we can go into a little bit more detail. It's not just going to be your backstory. It's going to be about how you can contribute to everything we do. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, first thing I always like to get into is just kind of your backstory. So, I mean, you're only 19, so you're a really young kid. You're younger than pretty much anyone we do anything with. Can you tell me, and it's like, it's kind of funny. I'm going to ask you, like, you know, tell me about your, you know, your life growing up, but it's like you're basically still growing up. So um, tell me about, you know, who you are, like kind of where you came from and how you got to this point. Okay. It's kind of crazy when you put it that way because, like, I feel young but also old at the same time. So it's like, I mean, we're all kind of growing up. But, I mean, I guess to get started, I'm Kai. I'm 19 years old. Um, I've lived here in Utah for most of my life. I lived in Idaho for a couple of years, and I spent the summer in Alaska this year. Um, this, this will always be my home, though. But I mean, growing up, I don't, I don't really know where to touch on, but I mean, growing up, I was always pretty outdoorsy. My parents liked to take us camping and do things like that. Um, so I kind of grew up around, around nature being outside and it's hard not to, especially when you live in Utah. Um, I mean, so growing up, I just kind of was outdoorsy and, uh, I guess that's where my love for photography kind of came to is when I was 12, when I was in the Boy Scouts, um, that's when I started to get doing a lot more stuff like that and when I was 14 was around the first time that I picked up a camera and it was also around the first time that I went on a backpacking trip and um, we did we did like a five-day backpacking trip to Kings Peak which is the highest peak in Utah and being 14 years old that seemed pretty crazy to me and that was when I ordered my first camera too it was a GoPro so it wasn't even anything crazy and I just wanted something to kind of like document life and just kind of like the adventures that I was going on, um, as well as just kind of like the things that I was doing and sharing like just nature and like just the beautiful things in, in the world right now and, and all that. So You know, I think it's, uh, it's a little crazy for me to hear. Like you said it was crazy as a 14-year-old to be you know, going on a backpacking trip in the winters. And for me, hearing that, when I was 14... Like, I had a totally different upbringing. I mean, I was just wanting to play video games and, you know, baseball and volleyball. And here you are, you're just out in the outdoors backpacking, you know, picking up photography. Like, you legitimately have, I mean, it's got to be at least a seven, eight-year jump on me from when I started all the photo stuff, which is really cool. So you were doing a lot of the adventure stuff kind of before you really got into photography and where we're at now. Yeah. Um, what is one of the trips that you can remember like from that time that really stuck on your mind? That was like your favorite trip, whether it's camping, backpacking, anything like that. Oh man. It probably was that backpacking trip to be honest. Like, I mean, it was, 
my brother, my dad, and I, as well as like eleven other people, because it was like a Boy Scouts thing, and we just had some really good leaders and like just some of the other adults around us too. One of the things about me is like I've always been naturally inclined and like not afraid of talking to adults or people that are a lot older than me. And so I feel like I was like friends with a lot of the adults there. And so it just was like a good time. And I just remember like not having cell phone service and just backpacking and like coming across animals and swimming in lakes and just doing all this stuff outside. And it just kind of, I think that's probably the first trip that I went on that I was like, holy cow, like I really love doing this stuff. And that's probably the one that I remember the most and probably the one that stuck with me as well because I feel like that was like a pretty big accomplishment for me as a 14-year-old. Another one would also probably be uh, Flaming Gorge. We oh, went that to, place is cool. Yeah, we yeah. went to Flaming Gorge when I was also 14. This trip was actually before the backpacking trip, and that's when one of my older brother's friends had a GoPro. That was the first time I'd ever found out what a GoPro was. And it was right before my 14th birthday. And I was like, I want one of those. And so I took some of the money that I saved up and that I also got for my birthday. And that's what I bought. But Flaming Gorge was also a pretty cool trip because that was the first time I ever went like river rafting. And that was super fun because we just were rafting down this river and there's rapids. And there's probably like three, three boats. Um, and we would literally like jump from ours into another one. And we try to throw people out of them. And it just was fun. Like, it just was a good experience. And it, like, I wasn't sitting inside on a couch watching TV, watching, like, an action movie where somebody else was, like, jumping out of a helicopter into a raft going down a canyon or something like that. It was, like, I was actually outside doing something instead of watching it on a screen, which I feel like a lot of people when they were 14 did. Hey, well, I mean, that was the upbringing I had. So you better be careful of this yeah, and that. You know? No, there's Cause... nothing wrong with that. I mean, like, I did my fair share of watching TV, too. Right. And I liked video games when I was a kid. Um, but I just kind of started to be more outdoorsy. Yeah. No, and I think it just it, it speaks to the contrast of life in a place like this, as yeah. opposed to where I came from in the Midwest, where, you know, you you can go on hikes, but they're really more just like quick little nature walks. I mean, you're going through a forest preserve. You're not climbing a mountain. You're not going river rafting, anything like that, because those kind of options just don't really exist. Yeah. And so it's a completely different experience, you know, and when I hear you're doing that at 14, I'm like, that's insane. Like, I, like those, those activities were never even a thought in my head. And I also think it's crazy, like, that's literally just like five years ago for you. Like, that's not that long ago that's crazy too like thinking about the math like being 19 and being like oh when i was 14 it feels so long ago but like five years when you think about it really isn't a ton yeah well that's what like and you mentioned too like you've always said you, you felt comfortable like speaking to adults and everything and i can attest to that because i mean we're almost 10 years apart and every time we've ever hung out or anything like it's been fine yeah but um like I think it's funny that like, we went on that trip earlier this year in spring, and you know we're kind of making funny because like you were 18 at the time, you weren't even 19 yet. Yeah. But there was a joke. I don't remember exactly what it was, but there was a joke. Um, like you were saying something like, "Oh, back when I was like a sophomore," and we and I think Ramon was like, "That was like two years ago, bro." Yeah. And it's like it really like there's such a different there there's such a gap there that like for us if I say back in sophomore year I'm speaking like you know, 10, 11, 12 years ago now, which is crazy. I mean, that's a very long time for you. It's like just yesterday. like yesterday, you know? 
Yeah. And so I think it was really funny. But like at that same time, it's really neat, like for someone like me to see a young person like you have the kind of experience and background you have. Because again, I didn't grow up that way. But here you are with a, basically a 10 year jump on me in this field. And I can't imagine where you're going to be in 10 years, which is really cool to think about. Yeah. So you said you start, you picked up a camera when you were 14? Yeah. And that was a GoPro. Yeah. So now that you know the difference between like GoPros and regular cameras, tell me what it was like to shoot photos on a GoPro. Bro, seriously. Oh, it's crazy. It's like I worked at a camera store for like a year and a half, and we had people come in, and they're like, oh, I'm just shooting on my phone. I'm just shooting on my GoPro. They're like, I want to get a real camera. I'm like, yes, you absolutely do. And because I had that experience, I could sell them an actual, like a real camera because I knew the differences. And it's crazy starting on a GoPro too, because I don't know, I guess originally, like I kind of wanted to do video. I was doing video and photo and I was just doing it all on this GoPro. Fun fact, it was a GoPro Hero 5 session. And if anybody doesn't know what a Hero 5 session is, it's like a cube. It doesn't even have a screen on it. And so I would connect it to my smartphone to see what the angle was that I was looking at. Or sometimes I'd just snap a photo because I was 14. I didn't really know about composition or lighting or color grading or anything like that. I just wanted to take photos of like all the pretty places that I was going, which were literally like an hour from my house is it. And like, wasn't even doing anything crazy with them. I just wanted to capture that. And the thing with the GoPro is they're like, so warped and wide angle and it's like you can't even really do a ton with them besides maybe some landscape photos and you also don't have a ton of control which is like the crazy thing like once I actually realized that hey this GoPro isn't working for what I want and I think I'm like ready to go to the next step and so I kept the GoPro but I saved up um I've had I've had a job since I was 13 years old and I just saved up and I got my first camera um, which was a potato, AKA a Nikon. Um, it was a Nikon D 3300 and I loved that camera. I think I got so obsessed with it so quick that, you know, like, I don't know if most people actually learn this or somehow if they just pick it up, but like, you know, the exposure triangle, like you've seen the diagram that's mm -hmm. like aperture ISO shutter speed. Um, I was like watching YouTube videos and I taught myself like how to use full manual control on my camera in like a week or two and like just dove right in and learned it like the back of my hand. Like the only thing that I really struggled to learn was like exposure compensation. But other than that, like just like, and seeing like the difference too, like having a professional camera that you can like choose the settings just helps you get so many better photos. Yeah. Well, I think like that's something that is scary for a lot of beginning photographers. hundred percent. Is learning how to shoot in manual. Yeah. And you know, I kind of had a, had a similar experience to you I picked it up almost right away. I'm like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. Um, but a lot of people, I think, just feel averse to trying to even start down that path. But I think you're right. Like Once you learn how to adjust everything yourself, you have so much more freedom and control over the type of photos you're getting. Yeah. Um, and I think especially like for you, learning that at such a young age is really a testament to like your ability to pick things up and to you know figure out how to do things a lot better and very quickly because again you're only 19 like yeah. you've been doing this for a few years still but you have picked up these skills extremely quickly um i want to ask you like how what was the best way that you were learning like where, what were the resources you were going to and i want to maybe throw a suggestion out there because you made a comment just now about 
Nikons being potatoes. So is it safe to assume that one of the guys that you like to, to follow and keep up with is Sam Newton? Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, aside from Sam Newton, and you can even talk about his work as well, but like, where were you going to learn about this whole film, video, photo, media space? Yeah. So I think to answer that question, everybody knows exactly what I'm going to say. I'm going to say YouTube, YouTube University. And, and who specifically on YouTube? It's free. Um, I mean, specifically on YouTube, I mean, Peter McKinnon is the big one. Everybody, everybody knows Peter McKinnon <laughs> That's where I in started. the photography world. Yeah, I think everybody started there. Um, but honestly, I kind of moved over to Maddie Hapoya for a while. Like, Interesting. Um, I guess it kind of just was, they were doing different different kinds of videos when I first learned about Peter McKinnon, I was like watching all of his old videos, like all of his old tutorials. And I think by the time I was like 16, he was doing other kinds of content that all of it wasn't super informational, but I felt like Matty Hapoya was. And I was going tons of other resources too. YouTube has so many, but those are probably like the two big artists because um, they covered like photo and video instead of like some people like only covered video or only covered photo. Um, so those were definitely probably the two two artists that I watched the most and helped me learn. Um, some other big ones were like uh, F-Stoppers, um, Autorama, B&H, like all those big camera stores have their own channels too. And that's what they focus on is teaching people because they want to be able to sell products and you learn and that's why people go there. And so, I mean, I just would search it up. And one of the things that I actually would do is I would go to the filters and I'd click most viewed because usually the most viewed, I think, in my opinion, is the best one because most people have viewed that. And then I'd watch that. And if I still didn't understand the concept, um, I'd watch more. Another one was uh, Tony and Chelsea Northrup. And so I watched them too. If anybody knows who they are, they do some pretty good educational content on photography as well. Yeah, there's a lot of really good resources out yeah. there. And, you know, I think you end up finding a lot of those people naturally as you watch others. Like, you know, I was watching a lot of Peter McKinnon and you can't help but find a guy like Manny Hapoya yeah. too. But they they do a, such a great job of breaking everything down. And like I learned the, that exact same way. And if you really take it to heart and put the time in, you're going to learn really quickly. Like it's it's not a matter of like if, but when. Yeah. Like when you'll really, when it'll click and you'll get the hang of all of it. And not just like with taking the photos, but editing all of it. The, the entire process yeah. of photography and videography too if you spend that time you know really soaking all that in it's going to come yeah i think one of the other things that i didn't really touch on is one of the other really good resources for me especially being so young and picking up a camera was school um i mean most schools don't have like a super in-depth photography course especially for me where i just jumped head first um i felt like i was probably the most advanced person in my class, um, not to blow steam up my butt. Um, it's okay to brag. Yeah. But like, I still took those classes. Like even in high school, I took those classes knowing that I knew most of it, but even then I would show up to class every day. And if it was something I knew, I would learn it more. And if it wasn't something that I knew, then I could say that I learned something new that day. And so, I mean, junior high, I took a photography class and then I moved into high school and high school. I took one every single year. I also was on yearbook, and so we took lots of photos. And so if you're in junior high, high school, even college, colleges have great programs for that. I mean, you can you can graduate with a bachelor's in photography or film. And so I would definitely say utilize those classes as well, even though YouTube is also great and it's free. 
Yeah, and I think maybe like the the theme that underlie what you just said is really just shoot, shoot, shoot. Like shoot as much as you oh, can. 100%. Like, I was doing that too. Yeah, like the more you shoot, the quicker you're going to get better. Yeah. It's again, it's just one of those things that feeds into itself. Whether you're actually out adventuring like we do going to these places, but the more you're working with your camera and taking that time with it, it's going to come yeah. naturally. Now, I'd like to ask you if you could share with us like maybe the biggest tip that you have for people who want to learn photography. What would that be? And I know I just took one saying shoot as much as you can, but what would you tell people who are just picking up a camera for the first time or maybe feel stuck with what they're doing? Like how can they get over that hump and really get moving in this space? Um, I mean, honestly, I think what you said is exactly what I would say. Every time anybody asks me what my advice is, that's what I'd say every time is just shoot, shoot, shoot. And one of the things that I realized too, being so young is I could sit all day. Like I didn't watch a lot of TV when I was a kid. I like to say that, but I did. I wasn't watching movies and TV shows. I was watching YouTube and I was learning. And so I would watch three hours of YouTube, but then like to learn photography, but then sometimes I would do nothing with it. And then other days I would be like, oh, like this is something that really intrigues me. I want to learn about it. And so at 15, 16 years old, I would literally take a pen and paper and I'd sit downstairs in front of my TV and I'd write it down. And then the next day, if it was too late, I would go outside and I would take pictures and I would practice those things. And so, I mean, being consistent and then practicing all of the things that you're learning too, because if you're taking in all of this information and then you're not doing it, it really doesn't help as much as it could. And so just experimenting too, like that's one of the best ways to learn is just play with your settings, play with your camera, and then just like watch videos on how to do something and then go and actually do it and then compare it and see what you can do to be better. Yeah. You got to be able to apply yeah. everything you're learning. Otherwise, like you said, like it's almost worthless. Yeah. Like you have to be able to put it into practice. And I think what you were talking about there too is something I had a very similar experience with, not necessarily with photography, but it's it's learning that your time is extremely valuable. And I think it's uh, really why you are where you're at today with how good you are in this space. Because if you're utilizing your time in productive ways like that, and you really grind through it, spend two, three years doing that, it's going to show dramatically at yeah. the end. Like when I was in college, you know, still older than you, but I was, instead of going out and and partying and playing video games, watching TV. Like I spent a lot of my time reading and watching different educational videos, debates and stuff on YouTube as well. Yeah. Like that was how I spend my time. Yeah. And because I did that, I know there's a drastic difference in who I am now as opposed to who I could have been had I spent my time doing other things. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's one of the biggest things that people should take away, even from this show already today. It's yeah. like, your time is extremely valuable and how you choose to spend it is going to show yeah. years down the line. Yeah. That's something I have to remind myself of every day and it kind of helps keep you on track. But I think that's one of the things too, is like, it's not just for content creators. I mean, anything that you do in life, if you take the time to learn it and learn it from somebody else, then go and apply it because that's how you keep it memorized or that's how you get better at it. And so it works with anything. It works with music it works with art. It works with poetry. I mean, anything anything that you can name. I mean, it works with 
like off-roading like if you want to learn more about off-roading like and just take the time to learn and then practice it yeah you gotta go do it um let's talk about one of your applications of your work and what i want to get into here is red bull rampage okay so you know when we had first met you told me that you shot red bull rampage and yeah. here i am i knew what it was and i knew it was a big deal yeah i really didn't know much about it but i was like i was like dang this kid he shot red bull rampage i mean he's only 18 like that's incredible yeah um how did you get into shooting something like that okay i guess to preface this like i mentioned earlier in junior high and high school i took yearbook and so one of the things that some people know about me, honestly, not a ton, because it's not really the work that I post anymore. I share a lot, but it's still the work that I love, is sports. Um, I love high action sports. I love watching it, love shooting it. Hence the GoPro and when you started. the GoPro. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people uh, in, think GoPros go with fast, high paced action sports. And, and so that's what I did throughout high school. I mean... If you, I wish I had one of my yearbooks with me right now. I wish I could show you, but like, especially my junior and senior year, I was in charge of my yearbook and probably 75% of the entire yearbook is all my photos, especially for all the sports teams. And so that's one of the things that I was really intrigued with when I started photography too. And so that's one of the things I took the time to learn. And then one of the things I took the time to incorporate because I was doing it for yearbook, I mean, for four years throughout my school and so, I mean, I just was doing that, and I just found out about Red Bull Rampage when I was 14, when I first picked up a camera. And um, my dad works for Maverick, who's one of their sponsors, and so he got tickets. So I actually didn't get, like, paid, like, hey, man, like, you're 18, we love your work, come down to Red Bull Rampage, and we'll pay you to shoot. I actually just showed up, and I went to one of the media tents, and I asked to talk to whoever was in charge of that. And they called the lady on the radio and she came down and she was super nice and she came and talked to me and she's like, Hey, like it's day of event. Like I can't like give you a media credential or anything like that. And so I was like, Oh, like that's totally fine. But she's like, let me get your email though. And you can email me the photos that you like and we'll see if we can license them from you because Red Bull's a huge company and all these companies have like licensing deals. Um, and I shot Red Bull when I was 18. It's probably some of my favorite photos I've ever taken and that was last year. And um, I mean, I don't know if it really matters too much. I reached out to her. She never really said anything back. But I ended up posting these photos. And I had a lot of the actual writers that I took the photos of comment on these photos. And I had Kyle Strait, who's actually probably one of my two favorite writers for Red Bull Rampage. Um, he actually messaged me. And we were talking a little bit. And he commented on my photo. And then he actually ended up posting it on his Instagram and tagging me. And from that tag, one of his um, sponsors actually reached out to me and they said, hey, Kai, like we love this photo. We would we would love to license it from you. And so they paid me to license that photo, which all in all ended up working out for me because I got a free ticket. I got to go shoot a sport that I loved and I ended up getting paid for it in the end, even though I didn't have like a media credential. Um, and then I ended up going back this year as a spectator also and watching and this year, I feel like wasn't quite as good as last year, but that's because they did it at a different venue. Um, but even even this year was incredible too. And so that's something that I would love to pursue more. And if anybody that works for Red Bull or has a connection is watching this or listening, please hook me up. I would love to shoot Red Bull Rampage as an official photographer another year. <laughs> yeah, well, I will vouch for you because 
those those photos that you took from that first time you went are incredible. Thank you. And I mean, when I talk to other people about you, those are the photos I show them. I'm like, this dude's legit. Look at these photos he got at Red Bull Rampage. Yeah. And everyone who sees him, like, whoa, that's so cool. Like those. Those are amazing photos. Yeah. Um, for everyone who may not know who's listening, can you tell us what Red Bull Rampage is? That's what I was just going to say. I think we should go into that. So I can explain Red Bull Rampage, but even explaining it does not do it justice. Um, I would highly recommend that people go onto YouTube and look it up. Um, you can watch the condensed version. It's usually like an eight-hour event, and then they shorten it down. Um, and just put like the two and a half hours of people actually riding. So you don't hear all the talking and all the pauses. Um, but Red Bull Rampage is an event put on by Red Bull every single year that it's possible. Um, I think it first started in the early 2000s. And so hypothetically, if they would have done it every year, they would have had like probably 20, but they've actually only had 14 because some years it's been too dangerous. Some years they haven't had enough riders. But Red Bull Rampage is uh, the most... What's the word that I'm looking for? High action and dangerous downhill mountain biking event in the world. And it's held uh, every year that they hold it in southern Utah. And it's insane. Like, these guys have uh, a week, basically. They show up if they get invited. Um, There's only a certain amount of riders. Every single year they get invited, and they're considered to be the best riders in the world for free ride downhill mountain biking. And they show up and they have four days to dig their line in this ginormous mountain of just sand, which is what Southern Utah is, is sand and rocks, basically. And then they get one rest day and then they get four days to practice. And one of the crazy things that I learned about this is usually there's about 20 riders that get invited every year. And most of the time by actual like race day or competition day, when all the spectators show up, there's sometimes like half or three quarters of that amount because a lot of these guys get injured just practicing their lines because it is just so crazy, like, what they're doing. I don't even pretend to understand it. Um, like, I know last year there was there was about 18, 20 guys that got invited, and only 13 or so of them ended up actually competing. And there was actually one guy that during the event um, failed one of his tricks and broke his collarbone and a couple ribs, and I have photos of him tumbling down this mountain and his bike breaking and his helmet obliterating and they stopped the entire thing for like 45 to 60 minutes to get him on a stretcher and to get him to a hospital and it's just crazy like these guys are doing things that just i couldn't even imagine well they're doing things that no person should ever do yeah i mean like what they do literally is insane yeah and like you said earlier you can talk about you can explain it but it does not do it justice. Like you, yeah. everyone at home needs to go at least look this up Yeah, to see what you're talking about because the lines these guys are doing are absolutely insane. Yeah. I mean, you have to be a special kind of person to want to go do that kind of stuff. It's crazy. You can live stream it every year. And the, the crazy thing too is that this is all done on BLM land and Red Bull, I don't know if they pay like a fee or like do what, but they use this BLM land. And so once they pack up Red Bull Rampage, you can go there. They take everything down because they don't want people that think they're professionals throwing their bikes off these 80-foot gaps. Um, but you can you can take your ATVs up there. You can take your 4x4s, and you can go check it out. And it's just crazy to see these lines and the heights and the things that they do. And it's just gnarly to think about, too. That's, that's why they're the best in the world at it. And that's why 
so many people come to watch and they also only sell like a certain amount of tickets and most of it's like they open it up and i know last year like i already had a ticket but i just got on to even see what tickets like run price wise or how fast and they were sold out in 20 minutes and people people jack the prices of these tickets up because it's something I, I met a couple people this year that they literally flew here from europe to come and watch this event because mountain biking is pretty big in europe too and like some people don't even get tickets there was one guy that was in the parking lot holding up a sign like looking for a ticket and he was like willing to pay like an absurd amount of money just for a ticket but nobody wanted to get him give him one because it's such a crazy event and they all wanted to go and watch yeah I, it's just it's something that I mean, all any action sport like that is just I can't wrap my head around it. I don't know why people do it. I'm very risk averse in that sense. Yeah. But I mean, what those guys do is absurd. Yeah. Like I don't, I you would never get me close to. Do, I don't even want to take a mountain bike on a regular trail like in the mountains here. Like that is out of my comfort level. So I can't imagine doing something like that. Um, you, you know, you really enjoy sports and action stuff what is it about those activities that draws you to them at least as a photographer yeah and if maybe if they also you know interest you like to actually go do that stuff what yeah. is it about those things that pulls you in oh i think it's just the adrenaline rush <laughs> i think yeah, it's you're it's a kid crazy. That's, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i think like even watching it like you get an adrenaline rush um, like I remember when Free Solo came out with Alex Honnold and just seeing everything that he was doing too. Like growing up, I wasn't into extreme sports or anything like that. I liked spending time outside. But as I've grown up, I've been like, wow, I really want to try that. And because of Red Bull Rampage, I picked up a mountain bike and I started doing a little bit of mountain biking. I'm not crazy like they are. I don't do insane jumps, but that's something I would love to get into if I can find the talent and the time for it. And that's one of the reasons I love photographing it too is because taking pictures at events like that gives me a way to watch the game and take pictures. And so I'm doing two things that I love at once. And, and so I just, just love it all in general. I don't, I don't even know how to really explain it, but just being on the sidelines or being in something like that, being involved in it, even though I'm not the actual athlete, just, gives me this sense of participation but then i also get a front row seat to the event and i get to take some pretty cool pictures too yeah it's it definitely is a great way to combine you know say two passions yeah. of yours because like that makes it all the more fun yeah is to go and be able to take photos and also be around that kind of a thing again i could never do that but you know to each their own now one of the other passions as well is cars and like off-roading stuff now um you just bought your current car. Yeah. Could you tell me what car you bought and why did you buy this car? Yes. So I think everybody kind of knows this, but we're Toyota fanboys around here. We are. Um, no Jeeps here. Yeah, no Jeeps, not allowed. Uh, it's been a dream car of mine forever. I, I bought a Toyota 4Runner. Um, I've been saving up for it forever. And I bought my first car when I was 16, it was a Hyundai Sonata hybrid, got 50 miles per gallon, but it wasn't good in me. It anything. sounds amazing. Yeah, it I mean, really does. It was nice, but I mean, gas prices weren't as bad as they are now. It's true. Um, but I just, it didn't take me to the places that I wanted to go. And so I knew that I wanted something. Um, and as fate had it, I ended up getting in an accident in that car and they totaled it out. And I found that out actually while I was living in Alaska. 
So I got insurance money for it, and all summer I worked and saved up and then came home and bought this car. Um, but it's become a passion of mine. It's something that I have started to research more. I've watched YouTube videos, and it's like a little ongoing project of mine. Um, and so there's a lot of things that I want to do to it and there's probably going to be some videos going around. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll see me post about it all the time because it's just something that I'm passionate about now. And so it's something that, that I am looking forward to. Yeah. And we all go through that. I mean, when I bought my truck, I was the same way. Yeah. Like even before I bought the truck, I'm looking at all the mods I can do. I'm like, I'm going to do this and this and this and this. Only one of them has actually happened, but you can't help but dive into that rabbit hole and get sucked into it. Yeah. Um, it, it's it, kind of the same way with photography. It's like any any hobby, really. Like when I was younger, I was like, oh, like there's some hobbies that are more expensive than others, but it's not true. Any any hobby that you pick up, you can make it as expensive as you want it yeah, to be. You're, you're going to sink money into it. Yeah. And it's because you love doing it. Yeah. And and I think a lot of people, they may see that stuff, and you know, if they don't love car stuff or photography, they see it and they're like, well, why would you ever do that? Yeah. Well, it's because it's what I love doing. Yeah. You know, and in that situation, it's not a waste of money. Because if you really love doing something like that, there's no amount of money that you could really spend that would not be worth it. Yeah. And to take it and you know, get to have experiences like going to Red Bull Rampage or like now that you have your forerunner, you could go off roading and get to places that would be really cool. And we have tons of places in mind for you. Yep. But it opens up a whole new world that you can get to experience yeah. in a new way. And it definitely is something that, you know, everyone has their own avenue they go down. Ours just happens to be photography and yeah. off-roading, yeah. which is great. Now, what mods are you really wanting to do to your forerunner? I know that opens up the door to so many things. That is a can of worms. But maybe give us your top five things you want to do to your car. Because you were just talking to this about this to us right before we started recording. So I know yeah. they're on top of your mind. Oh, 100%. They're always on top of my mind. I mean... I go to work and I come home and I'm like, I just worked for X amount of hours just to be able to afford this part. Um, I mean, top five, I I honestly want to change the whole car. I, I would love to just, I want to make it my own. And that's the thing about cars too, is once you start modifying them, it's like, this isn't something that somebody can go to the dealership and buy. And I really like that because it's like, that's my car. And like, if you follow me on Instagram, like, you'll start to see it. And like, I follow people on Instagram too, that they do this to their car. And if I ever saw them, I'd be like, that is so-and-so's car. You'll recognize them too. And it's cool. And I like, it's another thing to, to, uh, find common ground and make friends on too, if they have a similar interest. But going back to your question, top five, um, I definitely want to get a lift kit and suspension. That's, I mean, something that makes an off-road equal important. Yeah. Um, I'm still doing research on exactly what I want to do and I would love to do a full long travel suspension kit on it eventually. I don't know if I want to spend that money, um, but it would be cool having like a Baja, Baja car. They can go like 60 miles an hour over bumps and like feel nothing. Um, but definitely a lift and suspension because that, that helps with the overlanding and off-roading. Um, I want to get a wrap eventually. I want to wrap my car and just make it something cool and custom and something that is just me. Um, maybe something that's bushwhacker related along the lines too. Okay, we support that. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I'm going to add some lights, um, for anybody that hasn't seen my forerunner, it's like a metallic gray and I like darker looks. I feel like it's kind of a menacing car. 
which is kind of the point. Well, you're and, a medicine person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I'm going to add some amber lights. I'm planning on changing all of my lights over to high power LEDs that are amber because I like the, the metallic gray with like the yellow look. I feel like it's kind of like Batman-ish. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I, I will rooftop tent, 100%. Um, that's something that is a little bit more spendy for the one that I want. But for all the camping that I do, it would be nice to be able to just store things in my car and then camp on top of it. Yeah, one thing that I'm definitely jealous of, of people like you with 4Runners or any car that's not a truck, yeah, is the ease of which you can get into you know, a high quality rooftop tent like that. Now, like I could get a, a, a bed rack and do that, but like, yeah. I don't want to have the open bed and like the other solutions for me, if I don't want to do that are very expensive. Whereas you guys just put a little roof rack on and get the tent. And you're, you're done. You know, it's a couple yeah. grand and like, that's easy. But for me, I'm like, like it sucks a little bit when I see you guys have, I'm like, dang yeah. it. I wish I could do that. Yeah. That's the hard part with the truck. And that's actually one of the reasons that I bought the forerunner too, is just because I wanted something that, when I bought it stock, I knew it would take time and money and all of those things. And I wanted something that I could go car camping in until I had the money to buy all the things that I want to do to it or until I could buy a rooftop tent. So it's great because I can still store all my stuff in it, but I'm six foot tall and I can I can still lay in it pretty comfortably. So it's a nice off-road adventure vehicle. Yeah, that's definitely nice. And I think it's, it's definitely something that we'll be excited once you really get that thing up and ready because we can oh, all yeah. go out and we can go to the really cool places yeah. as, as a group and not just, you know, have, because a lot of times we go out, um, you know, like me or Chandler, we might be the only ones with like a truly good off-roading car. And so we have the most capability, which you, it's nice to have someone who can at least do some of that. Yeah. But a lot of other people don't have that car. They're bringing some sedans down, yeah. you know, like Subarus and Subarus are great, but a lot of them don't have the clearance. They don't have four-wheel drive they have all wheel which makes a big difference when you're off-roading but you need something that's truly capable of going and getting up to some crazy places going over all these different rocks and everything yeah to really get the most out of that experience i think that word that you just said is the exact reason that i bought that car and that's capability because having owned a sedan with no ground clearance i couldn't go all the places that i wanted to go and that limits the amount of adventures that I can have. Yeah. Um, and, you know, adventures are a lot of fun. Eventually, and I'm waiting until I really get into the situation, but eventually you run into some trouble. And I know you ran into trouble the other day. Yeah. Um, and not to put you on the spot here, but can you tell us about your bumper? Yes. Because you might be needing a new bumper now. Maybe you need to add that to your mod list. Yeah, I might need to add that to my mod list. I want to get a, a metal front bumper eventually once I get into more rock crawling just for protection. Um, but I was out yesterday, yeah, and we were mudding and we were running through some puddles. And I guess just the water pressure just going up into my car forced the uh, front. It's just a plastic piece, so it actually wasn't my bumper. I posted a, a story on Instagram, and I guess a lot of people thought it was my entire bumper. I think you said it was the bumper. I did say it was the bumper. I should have been more clear because it was just the plastic piece, I guess, like cover that goes on the bumper. Um, but I, it just clips on, so I could get another one. Um, honestly, I don't mind the way that it looks, but mishaps happen, and that's one of the things that you kind of have to function into the cost of owning a off-road vehicle that you actually off-road. Um, Hashtag say no to mall crawlers. 
and so sometimes you have to fix things <laughs> on the car. Yep, it's a real problem, and you ran into that the other day going through a little puddle, and yeah. I think that's cute. It is a pretty big puddle. Um, well, we'll see. Yeah. You'll go through bigger ones, trust me. Yeah. Um, now, I think it's it's a lot of fun here to have you on the show, mostly because you are a part of what we're doing now. And I think a really good way to intro you with everyone else into what we do is to have you do a little merch plug. 100%. Let's, let, give me your best merch plug for Bushwhackers. I won't just do a merch plug. I'm oh. going to do an entire Bushwhacker plug. Oh, he came prepared. Um, <laughs> I just want to take a minute to talk about how awesome Bushwhackers is. I'm glad to be a part of the team now. And just everything that it stands for. I mean, if you don't know, like who we are, what we do. Um, we just like to get outside. We like to uh, get out with the community. That's We're big community people and like to get out. I love, one of the things that I've loved is just meeting new people. I, I mean, graduating high school is like a weird time too. And so graduating high school at the same time that I was kind of hanging out with you guys when you were starting up Bushwhackers and going on all these meets and just using it to build the community and meet more people was awesome because I felt like I was making friends outside of just my little 2,200 people high school class. And so it was great. And one of the things too is I love our merch. It's one of the things that I stand behind completely. Um, I've never been a big hat guy. I've always hated hats. I've had curly hair and I like my hair, but the OG hat is just like my favorite. Like I got one and I was like oh I wonder how much I'll actually wear this but it's so comfortable and I love the way it looks you wear it and every day it yeah seems like. I wear it a lot especially when I was in Alaska like I just wore it all the time and just some of the designs too like our five panel like happy camper hat is like like this is something I would see in REI and I'd be like holy cow this is actually like so cool because we're putting thought and effort into it and it's things that people actually want and would wear but it's also like us it's like our brand and so having like a line of merch to represent us or to be able to have people wear that represents the things that they like to do is just incredible and having all these different things too and we we give them funny names and like we do things and just have awesome merch like the dad hat like this is just a typical like baseball cap like this is what I'd picture a dad in like the 1900s wearing, but it has our logo on it. Yeah, and when you put the camo one on, no one can see you. Yeah, exactly. It's like you're like the headless horseman. It just disappears. But it's just really cool. So I just love all of our merch. And if you guys want to buy any, you can go to www.realbushwhackers.com slash shop and order as much as you want. Man, Chandler, you see that hand motion he got in there? Like he's got this, this down. Slash. <laughs> like this is great. He's going to be a great addition to the team. But we also, I mean, you didn't mention, but we also have the hoodie you're wearing yeah. as well as Squatch we hoodie. Ton. We have Squatch t-shirt as well. Yeah. That's And both of those are relatively new. And I can test that they're very comfortable. Yeah. I mean, they like the t-shirt, the t-shirt's very comfortable. The hoodie is yeah. one of my favorite hoodies I've ever had. Yeah. Um, we also have the beanie I'm wearing now, the, the Beehive beanie. Like, we have a lot of good products, and, and it's fun definitely putting things out. And, and seeing people wearing, like, when, we, when you were wearing your hat when you were up in Alaska the whole summer yeah like me and Chandler were like this is pretty cool like I mean we knew you at that point but we didn't know you like as well as we do now yeah but it was like okay here's a guy who really appreciates what we're doing is into it but 
loves this merch and is not wearing it to like get our attention. Like and it's like he just likes it. Yeah. And he wants to be part of this. And it's like, well, this is awesome. Um, and that's kind of why we brought you in too, because like we could tell you really enjoyed all of what we do. Yeah. And we're like, you'd be a great addition to to our team and can add has some very good value adds to what we do. So let's talk a little bit about what we're planning on doing with you. So we are starting to launch some different video content. You know, we have this podcast and we've been doing this for, I don't know, what a month or whatever it is now. Uh, Chandler's starting out some educational pieces. Yeah. So it's all part of our, I'll say our grand strategy with video in YouTube. We have those two wings and then we have the wing that we brought you in for. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, I feel like the things that I'm planning on doing that we kind of brought me into the fold on is, is video. I'm by no means Peter McKinnon. I'm not an incredible videographer, um, but it's something I really enjoy and it's something that I've wanted to get better at. So I found that if I'm doing something that's actually projects and things like that, and just videoing the things that I'm passionate about, it helps me grow and it helps other people grow. They can learn from it too. And so, um, I like blogging. I mean, a lot of people find that it's hard for them. I feel like I am pretty good with a camera in front of my face. And so it's just more about like telling a story and having a vlog that people actually want to watch. And so that's something that I'm hoping to get into more as well as just all kinds of other videography because um, it helps me get better as a content creator. And I just love sharing the things that I'm passionate about. And I know that other people share those same passions as me. And that's one of the reasons that I watch YouTube. And I know that's one of the other reasons that people will probably watch us as well. Yeah. And like really just lots of storytelling yeah. is what you'll get into. And yeah. now that'll take place maybe primarily in vlog form. But yep. I mean, obviously creative limits are whatever you put on yourself so you True. can do anything with us but um you know you just made a video recently that we put out this last weekend on saturday uh, about bryce's truck called the white whale can you tell us about making that video what went into it the story behind it yeah so i mean it's a learning process and like every video one of the things that i've learned um especially from one of the really great youtubers called Casey Neistat is that any good video that people are actually going to watch is going to have a beginning, a middle and an end, just like any story. And so I just kind of kept that in mind, but I knew that I had a theme and I knew that I wanted to talk about Bryce's truck because it's really cool that he travels out of it and just lives out of it. Um, I think Bryce is a really great guy too. I met him while I was in Alaska and we can get into that another time too, just whenever that happens. Um, but I just wanted to make like a cool video. So I kind of just had an intro and we talked about the things that we want to talk about and then just had an ending. Um, just wanted to make sure that the quality was good and just all the things. Like I just kind of had like a mental checklist. I put some of it just in a notes app on my phone too, which is just like a good way to stay organized and then just kind of like went with it, um, which isn't perfect. I mean, there's always room to grow. So hey, Well, you did great and it's definitely a great first video to put out there. Um, because it was your first video, at least with us, that is, Yeah. you know, what did you learn in the process of making it that you hope to implement in future videos that you're doing? Oh man. 
Um, I think one of the things that I've learned, even just from trying to vlog in general, because I have so many videos that I've tried to make, tried to make and just failed miserably because I would put a ton of effort into the beginning of the video and then I wouldn't film during the middle. And then I would be like, oh crap, now I have to do something at the end and it just wouldn't tie together. And so one of the things that I just kind of learned is just have that storyline or just make sure that you are actually putting equal effort into the whole entire video because then it'll just make things so much easier and your time will be well spent. Um, and I think put a little bit of pre-planning into it too. When I was like, when I was younger and I just would be like, oh, I'm going to vlog this and this and this. It, they're still sitting on my hard drive. It's literally just like random snippets, which is cool. And it's like fun little, it's like a video diary, I guess. Um, but it's like put time and effort into it too. And then, then it'll right. Well, I think a lot of people don't realize that while photo and video, they are very similar. There's They're a different. there's a major difference between the two. Yeah, and it's that video takes a ton more planning. Yeah, you can't. I mean, we can roll up to a spot, a location, wherever we're going, and just quickly photo done. And video, if you're gonna make a quality video that people want to watch, tells a good story. You can't do that. You, I mean, unless you're, again, an expert in what you're doing, you have to really plan out every step yeah. of the way. Um, and it's just, it's a factor that people don't think about. Like they see videos like, oh, I'm going to make videos. It's like, you can't just jump into it. Yeah. I think, I guess if I could put one takeaway after talking about it and thinking about it a little bit more, it would be that story is key or king. Um, the story is what's important. Like, you don't you don't just pick up a camera and make a movie and Netflix says yeah we'll we'll buy this movie off of you, um, like any any great Hollywood movie like a lot of the times these have been in they've been storyboarding them for three years and it just takes so much effort to go into them it's a lot harder than you think yeah <laughs> and well that's one of the things I learned yeah well I have a a really good story idea for you you know for a future vlog. And that is that you love hot moms. And I think I think the world would love to know why, but also what I mean by that. Yeah, 100%. Um, so I have a t-shirt, which I know is what you're referring to. Um, a lot of people get a good laugh out of it. And so I actually, it's merch from another YouTuber that I like. He's not photo or video related. He just is a comedian, I guess. And I bought this t-shirt and it's like a funny story and I wear it everywhere, especially when I travel. It's like the t-shirt that I wear every time I'm in an airport. And, um, and it just says, I love hot moms. Yeah. It just says I heart like a big red heart. And then it just says hot moms. It's like when you go to New York city and it's like one of those just normal touristy t-shirts that says I heart the big apple, but it just says hot moms. And I mostly got it as a joke. I mean, I, as much as anyone else, loves a good-looking woman. <laughs> and I really just, just bought it because it's funny. And I love people. I like making connections. And I can't tell you how many stories that I have from wearing that T-shirt that people have made comments about it. Some people think it's inappropriate, but a lot of people get a good laugh out of it. Um, I remember... One time I wore it to the airport when I was going to Hawaii 
and I think we had like three different stops and I probably got a dozen comments every single stop that we made. I probably talked to 40 or 50 people that day, which is a lot of people. Just because of the shirt you were wearing. Yeah, just because of the shirt. Probably one of my favorite stories is we were boarding the airplane um, to go from California to Hawaii, I think it was. And I just was walking down the aisle. I had a backpack on and sometimes the straps like cover up the t-shirt, but most people will like take a minute to look at it. And I never realized how much people look at t-shirts. And I think maybe that's because some of us just have our phones in our faces, but this uh, older gentleman, I was just walking down the aisle and he just starts laughing. And I know exactly what he was laughing about because I was walking by and he looks at me and he says, son, I love hot moms too. And he looks at his wife and winks and it just was like the cutest thing. And I just loved it because I just laughed and like a couple other people in the rows did too. And it's just fun to have a conversation with people and it's a good conversation starter. And it's fun to have a conversation with people where they're laughing. It's not so serious and it's a good way to make friends or like leave a positive impact on other people's day. Um, I actually was, when was it? I think it was when I was flying home from Alaska. Yeah, I was flying back home from Alaska and my final stretch from Seattle to here my flight attendant, the stewardess, actually was a single mother, and she stopped me. And this was like maybe 20 minutes before we were landing, and she asked me, she's like, can I bother you for a picture? And I was like, of course. And so I feel like I was getting some special treatment. She asked me to come up to the very front of the airplane, and I walked past all these people, and they just were all laughing. Some of them weren't laughing, and they just were looking at me all weird. And there was a three three stewardesses and I took a photo with them and she's like are you okay if I post this on Facebook and I was like yeah of course you can post it on Facebook and it's just just a fun way to interact with people I guess right I mean it, it's a great way to keep things light and fun and yeah and, and not like you said keep things so serious all the time especially yeah. when you're traveling you know you can maybe make someone's day yeah exactly put a, put a smile on your face and that's a great thing yeah that's one of the things I think anybody who knows me will learn about me is that I like to have a good time and I like to make people laugh and I like to keep things light and humorous. Yeah, well, you do a great job of that. And, you know, along with that, another story that you have that is a great one to tell is you, this last summer that you spent up in Alaska yeah. doing a seasonal job. Can you tell us about that and take us through, um, you know, going out there to all the way to coming back and yeah. everything in between? Yeah, I can go over as much as possible. I mean, it'll be, it would be hard. I mean, there's so much of it. I was there for six months. Um, but I guess to just get the basics out, I mean, I I just graduated high school. Um, I, I guess I'd been out of high school for a little while, a couple months. And I just decided that I wanted to change the scenery um, from Utah. I think it's good for everybody to get out of their, their home state for a while. And that's one of the things too, is just with my passion for travel and wanting to see the world, I had seen photos and videos of Alaska and I was like, man, this place looks really pretty. And I was just like, I can't even remember what I was doing. I think I was browsing through social media and a, an ad popped up and it was for this company that I ended up going on to work for. And that's when I started to learn about seasonal jobs too. 
and seasonal jobs are great because you get to travel and most of the time these places will help you with housing or they'll put you up with housing and you get to spend an allotted amount of time in a place that you want to see and so I was like man like this seems like the perfect gig and I never lived away from home I'd never been away from home for like more than two weeks I was fresh out of high school I was 18 years old and I just decided to pack up my stuff packed up two suitcases and all of my camera gear and decided that I was going to move to the middle of nowhere Alaska and so I bought my plane ticket after I found out that I got the job and it was surprisingly cheap considering that where I was at in Alaska is 2200 miles away and so I flew there ended up in Fairbanks which is the second largest city in Alaska which is not large by any means and from there um, the company that I was working for picked me and a ton of other people up from the airport and buses and they took us two and a half hours to Denali National Park which is where I was working Um, I was about like a mile and a half two miles ish from the National Park I literally could get get off of work and walk on a pathway from work into the national park where they have a free shuttle bus system that would take you within the first, I mean, I'm trying to remember what it was, like 42 miles. Originally it's like 84, but half of the park was closed. And I just spent my time out there. I thought originally I was going out there to document Alaska and Denali. And I was going to take like, a ton of pictures in every day but honestly I just was enjoying time out there in nature I was hiking I was camping I was backpacking I was doing all kinds of things and the company that I was working for had some nice perks too and so I got to have a lot of awesome experiences with the uh, some of the, the touristy companies out there um, I got to take ATVs out I got to go zip lining um, one of the the flight companies out there that does flight tours around Denali. I got to go out with them probably four times. I also got to go out with a a helicopter company called Temsco. And we uh, did this really cool experience towards the end of my season where I went to their office where they had their helicopters and they have three or four helicopters and they literally are parked on a cliff with a river right below it. Like, I think one of those helicopters easily could have washed over into the river. And um, we loaded up and we went heli hiking. We went out with a naturalist and they uh, dropped us off in a helicopter on top of a mountain. And we just hiked around for five hours and we ate wild berries and we went over plants and we found a goat skull and it just was fun. And then they picked us up on the totally opposite side of the mountain and Alaska is just gorgeous too, like the mountain ranges. It it felt like home because here in Utah, like northern Utah especially, we have tons of mountains. And I worked a lot out there. I'm not going to lie, I worked a lot. And as I was working, I was putting all that money away because my cost of living was super low. And that's like I knew I was going to come home and buy my 4Runner. That's been my dream car forever. But then I was having as many experiences as I could. I didn't even have a car out there because I flew. And occasionally some of our coworkers that did have cars would let us borrow them. Um, I went to Anchorage a few times. I went to a few other places and I didn't even touch a 10th of the state that I wanted to. It's, it's huge. Um, and it just was a crazy experience. I took a lot of photos and 
one one trip in particular too um, that I did that was pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about just really briefly because there's better things to talk about. But what were you doing for work up there? Because it was a seasonal job. Can oh, we talk yeah. about that? Yeah. Yeah, we can talk about it. I wasn't sure if we wanted to actually get in depth yeah. on what I was working. So I just was working at a hotel um, because it's in the middle of nowhere. They have to house you because there's nowhere else to live. Um, the town that we were living in was about 10 miles away. It's called Healy, Alaska. The population is like 200, 250. And when this company brings in all their seasonal people because they're only open during the summer because the winters get so bad, the population goes from like 250 or 300 to probably 2,500. They, they house a lot of people and they bring in a ton. And so... That's what I was doing for work. I mean, for me, it was just a way to have access to the national park and to have cheap housing and cheap food and just experience a part of the world that I probably wouldn't have experienced for a long time and if you, I hadn't done that. And you mentioned, you know, some of those perks that you had access to. Like yeah. all, a lot of the different excursions that the hotel actually would put on for people. Yeah. What was your favorite excursion? that you got to go on? Mm. There was a lot of them that were good. The uh, There's a rafting company out there, and we went rafting. That was actually one of the first things that I did. And they put you in not a wetsuit, but a dry suit, which is a little bit different. And we rafted 11 miles of the Nanana River, and that was pretty sweet, too. I mean, we didn't even do the super rapidy part because it was too cold and there was like too much snow melt that it was like super dangerous so they didn't take us that far down the river but that was really fun because i love rafting and this river is a consistent 38 degrees like year round and so it's freezing cold and we actually jumped in the river with our dry suits and i had like a couple layers of clothes on underneath and it was still pretty cold but it felt fun and gave me a little bit of an adrenaline rush so that's probably one of the things that was the best. Um, but I think number one was the flying I did out there. I got to fly quite a bit with some of the companies and we did a, uh, Denali peak flight seeing adventure with Denali air. And over the course of the summer, I got to know the people that worked there and some of the pilots and got to have like a pretty good, cool relationship with them. And it's crazy because Denali is the tallest peak in uh, North America and we flew around it the first time I flew around it it was pretty cloudy so we couldn't even see a ton but you could still see the peak and it's just crazy to think about it because it's ginormous and I think the third time that I did it we it was a super clear day we got so lucky and we literally flew like almost eye level with the peak and it makes you feel so small so that's probably my favorite thing that's the one thing that i would recommend that you budget when you go to alaska and do that and it's the actually the best way to see mount denali a lot of people they don't think about flying around it a lot of people don't have the budget for it but they go into the national park and they think oh it's denali national park i'm gonna see mount denali no, you actually are not going to see Mount Denali. There's actually a really cool statistic 
that is 30% of the people that go to Denali National Park get to see the actual mountain, like the whole mountain. And 30, 30% is pretty low. And you actually have to go pretty far into the park. And so just that experience alone was just great because I got to see the mountain pretty much every single time that I flew. Yeah, I was hoping you were going to say that one because if I'm thinking about this correctly, that's the you have one photo that you took of from the plane yeah. with the wing in the shot of Denali. Yeah. That might be I mean the the photos that you've done on like Red Bull are a totally different kind of style yeah. of photo, but that photo with the plane wing in front of Denali might be my favorite photo of yours. Really? I think that's such a cool thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of times I see people who do those kinds of flying trips, not necessarily up in Denali, you know, around here, anywhere else here, yeah. but um, I see those. I'm like, eh, those like they're, they're okay. Like they don't do much for me. But your photo, I'm like, that looks freaking cool. Yeah, it was crazy. That was the first time that I flew, and like we just turned a corner, and the pilot was like, "That's Mount Denali." Like, <laughs> it was a little bit more like more than that. It wasn't so. Oh, there's Mount Denali. Um, but it was, it was pretty cool. And I do really like that photo. Sometimes I wish the plane wing wasn't in it, but it gives a, like a small sense of scale. And it also gives you like the story of like, bro, I literally had to be in an airplane 18,000 feet above the ground to get that photo. Like somewhere that like not even, you couldn't even put a drone that high up in the air. And so it it was crazy. (laughs) Yeah, definitely a really neat thing. And like a cool story that you have that most people are are never going to have. Yeah. Um, having seen Denali, one of Alaska's great national parks, and there, I think there's eight up there maybe in Alaska. Sounds right. Um, yeah. And a lot of them are hard to get to, but I have a feeling that all of them might be the coolest ones you could ever go see. Yeah. So w- having been to Denali now, what is the next park in Alaska that you'd like to go <sighs> see? Oh, dude, that's so easy. So there's actually this national park. A lot of people don't know about it. I learned about it while I was in Alaska, and it's called Gates of the Arctic. One of the cool things about Alaska is a lot of the places you want to get to, there's not roads. And so there's two other means of travel that are actually really popular still in Alaska, and that's boats and airplanes. And some national parks, um, you there's not a road into them. So you have to take a boat is what most people do or an airplane and gates of the arctic is one of those few that has no roads and no boats and you have to take an airplane and i don't i don't know exactly what the number is but it's the least visited national park out of any of them because it's expensive to take an airplane in there but the views are crazy the mountain ranges in alaska are huge um alaska has like seven of the ten highest mountains in north america and it's just crazy that they're all overrun with glaciers and stuff. And it just would be insane to see. There's a guy that I follow on Instagram that he did it, and he spent like a week up there. And it's like, dude, you're li- living off the grid for a week in a national park that maybe gets 100 visitors a year. You think of of Arches National Park or things like that, they get 100 visitors in maybe 10 minutes. And so it's just crazy to think about it like, it's probably the national park or probably a section of the earth that is not touched by man. And some of the places that you're going are places that no other man has been before. It's like, it's like stepping on the moon kind of. Yeah. I mean like when you describe something like that, like it gives you goosebumps almost. You're like, that would be 
one of the coolest experiences you could ever have in your life. Yeah. I mean, not only is it, you know, so far away because it's in Alaska, it's also pretty far north in Alaska. Yeah. But like you said, you can't take a car, you can't take a boat, you have to get a bush plane. Yeah. And that whole trip, thinking about it, has to be one of the coolest experiences you could ever have. Yeah. It's special to even think about and even more special for the people who have actually been there because it's like so few it's you're like a small percentage of people that have actually been there or seen it so it's kind of like being in a cool little exclusive club yeah well like you said i mean like a place like arches gets a hundred visitors in a matter of minutes yeah whereas that place it takes a year to get that many and so there's no touristy aspect of it you know you're not running into crowds of people you are basically just with yourself in the wilderness of alaska which would be amazing. Now, having been up there and having spent so much time out in the Alaskan wilderness, did you run into much wildlife at all? Yeah, quite a bit, surprisingly. Um, most of it was wildlife that I knew I was going to encounter. Um, Alaska, Alaska has a ton of wildlife. And I wish I would have been more proactive about getting deeper into the park. And I wish I would have seen more bears, but I did see a lot of wildlife. Um, they have a lot of smaller animals too, which you see every corner that you turn, but I saw a lot of moose and I saw a lot of caribou. Those are probably like the two most popular animals out there. Um, I saw some doll sheep. Most of it was from a distance cause they like to stay at higher elevations. And I did see like two or three bears. Um, nothing super up close though, but yeah, still a lot of wildlife. And one of the, the things that is also kind of well known about alaska is the 24-hour sun yep what i mean you were there for a whole summer yeah so what was it like dealing with the sun all day every day for a pretty long period of time yeah it was it was awesome to be honest like for somebody who who likes the outdoors it was cool because i could if i ended up working a late shift at work i could get off at 10 p.m. and I could walk into the national park and it would still be light and I could hike till two in the morning and technically two in the morning is like sunset the sun would like I mean air quotations go down but you would just have like a two or three hour long sunset until the sun would rise back again in the morning and so you wouldn't ever get true darkness and so it was crazy because like you could you could literally watch a sunset for two hours and here it's like oh dude yeah 10 minutes to watch sunset before it's gone yeah or like now you know with daylight savings sunsets at five o'clock now yeah and we have what seems like more darkness in the day than than light yeah whereas you had literally 24 hours of light yeah yeah i mean how did you sleep blackout curtains um you get used to it too i mean the curtains that i had weren't super dark and so i just kind of learned to just go go to sleep well um, what was it like camping though with that like were you able to get to sleep easy enough because like otherwise your body would kind of not get used to you know the natural times you'd be getting to sleep especially if you're on a multi-day trip yeah it's like what was that like yeah i mean it it was still pretty similar i think my body knew what times i should be going to bed like just kind of like the rough times and so I just would be so tired just from camping or backpacking, whatever we were doing, that I just would fall asleep. 
And sometimes you'd wake up, like you'd wake up and it would be like three in the morning and you're like, is it seven? Like you kind of just wonder, you just have to look at the time on your phone or your watch, but it was pretty crazy. Like, I mean, I have a really nice headlamp and I maybe used it two times the whole six months that I was out there. Like, I mean, normally when you go camping, it gets dark. And if you have to go to the bathroom, you're like, oh, gotta, gotta grab my flashlight and go to the bathroom. But it's like, nope, you can just walk out your tent. You don't have to worry about it. That, <laughs> you don't have to worry about falling in a hole or anything. That's so wild. Yeah, it's yeah. a crazy experience. I hope everybody gets to have that experience one day because it's really cool. Yeah, that'd be sweet. And I know another really cool aspect of your trip, your time up there was a backpacking trip that you organized, especially yeah. because it included one of our good friends now who was recently on the show as well, Bryce uh, Campbell. Um, can you tell us about what that trip was like and what all you did? I think it was like three nights, four nights, right? Yeah, three nights, four days. Yeah, so what what all did you guys end up doing you know, from start to finish? Take us through it. Yeah, so we, uh, we did a ton just to... Uh, to preface that trip to um, every year for the last couple years, I've had a tradition where I go, I go camping for my birthday. And, and this year was like the first year that I was away from home. I didn't have the same friend group and I was working a ton. I was working probably six days a week, sometimes seven days a week. And that was the only consistent time off that I took like throughout the summer I was like hey like I, I, I need five days off from work and I'm gonna go backpacking and as I started to figure out this trip I was like mentioning bits and pieces of it to people that I was working with and they're like bro are you crazy like just the way that we planned it um, so I planned this trip over my birthday because I figured it would be something kind of special to me and I organized it I had to get permits from the national park um, because it's a national park they don't want just millions of people camping everywhere so i had to do research on how to get permits where to get permits where we're going to go and there's this really iconic place in denali national park called wonder lake and we have a really big panoramic photo of it in the hotel that i was working at and i would pass by it stand in front of it every single day and people would come up to me in the hotel and they'd be like, hey, where is that? Like, I want to go there. And I'd tell them, you can't go there. Because for a lot of people that didn't don't know, um, last September in 2021, there was a huge landslide in the National Park. And they've known about it. They knew it was happening. And then it just pretty much just collapsed. And it, from talking to the park rangers all summer, it's going to take five or six years to build a new road and they're estimating it's going to be about a billion dollar project to put a new road because yeah it's so i don't know if it's just remote or just like because of the way that the the landscape is in alaska it's it's hard to build anything like that after it goes out and i said i'm not going to let that stop me and so i called around to some of the airlines or like small small businesses in the area and found one that they uh, fly people in and out of the park. Because, fun fact, there's actually some hotels in the back of the park that uh, were old mining settlements before they expanded the boundaries in the national park. And so, because people technically owned that land before as a national park, 
they uh, they claimed it from the United States government, and then they ended up either selling it or just uh, passing it along to their kids, and their kids turned it into a hotel. And so it became like resorts back there too, like very few people back there as well. But this company was flying people in and out. A lot of it was, um, was those people staying at the hotels. And they actually told us that uh, we're the only people that they flew out all summer um, to go backpacking That's back there. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So it felt really special. Um, we had a weight limit. I invited a couple people. I had two friends that, that lived with me and worked with me that they, they wanted to come. And then I thought we'd actually have room for two more people, but it turns out we only had room for one. And good thing I only had one person actually be super serious about going. And that was, that was Bryce. I'd never met him in person, only talked on social media, and he decided that he actually wanted to do it. And for anybody that doesn't know where Bryce is from, Bryce is from Charleston, South Carolina, which is further than Utah. And so he flew from Charleston, South Carolina, all the way to Fairbanks, where he caught the Alaska Railroad, and he rode the train all the way down. And I met him in person a day before this trip, and he just decided that he was all in. And he literally bought his plane ticket like three days before he got out there. And he just fully committed to it, and we decided to send it. He paid for his flights just to get to Alaska, and then we had to pay the company to fly us in and out of the park. And it was actually pretty nice because um, some of the companies that I I work with, uh, Teton Sports, I'm an ambassador for them, I had quite a bit of camping gear from them, so we didn't have to worry about buying any uh, additional camping gear, really. And then we also... um, I reached out to Peak Refuel. I have a friend that uh, works for them. And I was like, hey, man, like, is there anybody that you can uh, hook me up with here just to reach out to and see if they'd uh, send some product out for some photos? And uh, ended up getting them to send me a very, very large amount of backpacking meals, like enough for all four of us to eat, eat food for the four days that we were out there. And so really the only cost for me, at least, not talking for Bryce just to get out there, was... Um, just the cost of the plane to get out there and there's a lot of things that we had to do we had to get a special certification before we could go go backpacking in the park to be able to get our permit and we just decided to send it and they dropped us off at the Cantitiona airport and we uh, loaded up all our gear they had other people get in the plane to take back out and those people were staying at the hotel and they saw us all with our backpacks. And they're like, you guys aren't staying at a hotel here? And we're like, no, we're going backpacking. And they're like, that's crazy. And one of the ladies that like was working at the, the backcountry hotel was like, you guys are the probably the only people that I've seen out here this whole year, too. And this is in July. And it just was a crazy experience. We hiked from the Cantitian Airport on the park road on the side, on the other side of the closure um and we probably did probably hiked six miles on this road until we got to wonder lake because you actually can drive up to it when the park road is open um but it's a no camp zone and so we actually had to hike about two miles up a hill and that's where we set up camp because it was outside of the no camp zone and so um we camped there i mean We camped there for two nights, and there actually was no water up there, so we had to come down every single day to get water, which honestly wasn't bad because we wanted to hang out at the lake every day too, so we did that, and 
um, the the second day that we were out there, or actually the third day. The third day we decided this is too far up. We're doing too much bushwhacking to get up there, um, covered in cuts and scrapes and bruises and mud because we were literally pushing tree branches out of the way and walking through shrubs for for two miles, just straight uphill. Like it probably was 2,500 feet of elevation gain. And we just decided we'd had enough of it. And so we decided to pack up all our stuff and head back down. And we just spent our last day at the lake. And then we decided we are going to spend our last night um, camping somewhere more, not so high in elevation, um, before we, we went back. And that last day was uh, July 28th. And um, we kind of just went down. We hung out by the lake. And there was actually some people from one of the other hotels out there canoeing. And I probably shouldn't be admitting this um, on video or on audio, but I asked them, I said, hey, like, is there any way that I could, like, use one of your guys' canoes? Like, this looks, like, super fun. And the guy was really nice about it, and he told me, hey, man, like, I really appreciate you asking, but no, I can't let you do it. Like, it's a liability for our company. And I don't know if he said that just because he had to, but they left and they didn't lock the canoe up before they left. I don't know if he did that on purpose. And so it was around midnight, and we uh, decided we were going to take it out. And so we took the canoe out, and we just kind of canoed on on Wonder Lake as the sun was setting at midnight. And fun fact, it actually like carried over into my birthday. So I was sitting on a lake watching a sunset on my birthday in the middle of nowhere in a place that nobody else went backpacking doing probably one of the coolest trips that I've ever been on um, when I turned 19. And we just kind of hung out. Like, we, we cooked food, and Beaker Fuel had some awesome meals. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting some of them to be that good. Um, but compared to some other MREs that we had out there as well, it was like, holy cow, this is like, like eating at McDonald's and then going out to, like, a really fancy dinner restaurant. And so we just hung out, like we, we took photos, we played cards, um, just spent time in nature. We had some, some crazy wildlife experiences too. We saw a huge bull moose in Wonder Lake and we sat and watched it for two hours. And I ended up, uh, I was taking photos of it. And then I ended up walking back to everybody where they were sitting and we hear rustling in the branches and this moose pops out of like a shrub or a tree and it's probably 30 feet away from us and walking right towards us and I was like oh my gosh this is crazy and he just kept coming towards us and then we realized okay he's getting too close like this is a huge dangerous wild animal and so we decided it's time to go and we started walking up the mountain I was taking photos still um partially as it was walking towards us and I was like okay this is getting too close and so I started booking it and he started running but not running towards us he was paralleling us and he just was like I mean I guess it was a casual walk for him because he has four legs and he's fast but it was crazy to have this ginormous moose with big antlers 10-15 feet away from you just running and just walking into the woods paying no attention to you really he was aware that we were there, but he wasn't like coming after us, which we thought he was at first. And so that was probably one of the craziest experiences of the trip. 
I'm just glad it was a moose and not a bear. <laughs> um, we also found some caribou right next to our camp, and me and my buddy Roman stayed up till two in the morning just watching these caribou just graze. And then they ended up just walking off into the sunset. And we're like, okay, it's time to go to bed. And then just went to bed. And it just, like, felt so unnatural because it felt like a dream. And it just was a crazy experience. And then we loaded up into an airplane and flew back and spent the night in the hotel room of the hotel that I worked at. And it just still kind of seems unbelievable because that's something that nobody else has done. And Bryce actually made some really cool spic- uh, stickers that are, one of them's on my water bottle. And it says, I backpacked unit 15 and it has like a mountain and an airplane just to kind of like signify like our really cool trip that we had to fly into this national park. And we got to see Mount Denali with no clouds around it too. That's one of the things I forgot to mention is the first two days it was cloudy and we couldn't really see the peak. And then the last two days, it was super clear. And you get to see, like, the true size and beauty of this ginormous mountain. And then we flew home right past it. And we had this really cool pilot. His name was Roger. And Roger had been flying airplanes for 30 years. And we got to know Roger. And Roger was really cool. And he um, was pointing out some places to us. And we flew over Wonder Lake and we pointed out to him where we camped at on top of this, this ridgeline that just took four hours to get up to every time. And he said, uh, I won't use the vulgar language that he did, but he said, you guys are freaking crazy. I've never heard of anybody camping up there. And it was like, really? Like, that's crazy. And I, I don't know. It just was worth it to us, I guess. And it just was the trip of a lifetime. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like an incredible experience. I mean, listening to you tell a story, I'm like, I I need to do something like that. Yeah. That'd be super cool. Yeah. And, like, what was that like to do all of that with people you really don't know yeah. all that well? It was, it was fun because experiences like that is how you get to know people really well. Like, I mean, if you threw me in a room, like here, with people that I didn't know, I'm a pretty outgoing person, so I probably would make some effort, but I'd probably be on my phone a lot too, because sometimes it's awkward. But we didn't do that. We just all talked, and we got to know each other, and we played cards, and we we didn't care what we each thought about each other. And I don't know why that is, but we just weren't afraid of all the other things that come with a normal social life or like cultural norms. Like we just shared about ourselves and we just were our quirky own personalities and we just kind of bonded. And so it just, it felt like I'd known those people for a long time, especially Bryce, like literally had known him for a day and he ended up spending like a week with us in Alaska. And I felt like I'd known him for like a decade by the time he left. That's amazing. And I think like that's obviously nowhere near to that extent because your trip, your your backpacking trip is far different than what we do on a more regular basis here. But to some degree, I think we get a little bit of that 
yeah. as well. I oh, mean, 100%. the trip, the trip that you know we did back in the spring, like, yeah. that was the first trip we'd really done with you. Yeah, and that was right before you you left for Alaska. Yeah, but I mean that trip and everyone in our group there, like we bonded really well. Yeah, and to this day, that's of all the trips we've done, a lot of people said that's like their favorite trip. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah, and it's one of those things like. It'd be so fun to be able to go back and relive all of those moments. Yeah. Um, and again, being able to do that in Alaska would take that to the next level. Yeah. Doing it almost anywhere. But I think that that is one of the things that I've noticed is you can you can take a lot. You can take strangers and you can can make them do something together that they have somewhat in common. I mean, a lot of us are photographers, a lot of us are videographers, but you don't have to be a photographer or a videographer to come hang out with us. Um, we just all love being outside and we like getting to know people and we like having experiences or adventures. And so that is just common ground for everybody and that's how you make friends and that's how you break those barriers of what makes you different. It doesn't matter to the bushwhackers, to us, what what is different about you because we're going to love you either way. And we have something that is, that is in common. And so I hope, I think that helps us all kind of make friends and enjoy our time together. Yeah. Those are, it's really well said. Thanks. Really, really great words, especially from a 19 year old kid who, you know, went to Alaska on a whim left us and came back six months later with a great looking mustache Thank you. Um, but uh, I think that just really is an incredible experience. And it is something like, you know, looking at someone of your age and what you do, like it, it really is impressive that you go out and do that kind of thing. You know, not only do you say yes to a trip to Alaska, but you put together a backpacking trip up there yeah. in a place you've never been with people you've never been with. Yeah. Like that really says something about who you are, who we are, to be able to go do stuff like that with other people. Um, and it really is a powerful, powerful way to get to know people. Um, and I think looking back on all of that, it's probably easy to say, like, would you do that again? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I mean it's a no-brainer. It's a, it's a no-brainer, yeah. yeah. I, I want to go back. Yeah. I want to take people with me, too. <laughs> so, like, if you had the option to do another seasonal job next year, would you take that? Ooh. That's actually a tough question. That's one I've been thinking about. I don't I don't know if at the moment I would do another seasonal job, um, especially because when I did this seasonal job, I didn't have a car payment, and now I do have a small one. Um, I definitely want to go back out there again, though. And if I could, uh, I mean, a lot of people know what Trova Trip is. I would love to do, like, a Trova Trip or even just get some people together that sound interested in that. And since I've been out there before, I would love to be like a tour guide and do that. Um, but I'd have to put a little bit more thought into doing another seasonal job out there for now just because of life circumstances at the moment. Well, in the meantime, you can help run trips here with us and, and with our community here in Utah and elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and I think it'll be a lot of fun to, to have you out on the road with us and with everyone else. Yeah. And I think I think they'll enjoy being out with you, and, and you definitely will be a good host, a good good tour guide for people so it'll be good i think this is a good place we can wrap up for today you'll be back on the show at some point just because you 
work with us now. And we'll yeah. just have some good casual chats. It'll be fun. Um, but before we go, I would like to ask you one last question about your trip, your entire trip to Alaska, not just the backpacking trip, but the entire summer. You know, because you're so young, you had never been to a place like that. You hadn't lived away from home. You know, what was the biggest thing that you took away from a six-month trip? And that, you know, what is the biggest lesson that you learned through that whole time? I think I learned a lot. Um, It's hard to put it all into words, and I'm sure there's a lot of key takeaways. I think um, some of the most important things that I kind of picked up is that getting outside of your comfort zone is important. You learn a lot, you grow a lot, and that the world is bigger than you think. Um, when I was in high school, I, I thought, this is it. These are going to be my friends for the rest of my life, and I'm going to kick back, I'm going to relax, I'm going to work a part-time job, and I'm just going to hang out, and life is going to be good. And then that all all shattered for me. I mean, I graduated high school. Um, the girl that I was dating throughout my entire high school experience, we broke up. And I just wanted to have other experiences. And I think Alaska taught me that I need to do more and I need to see more. And I need to contribute to, to I don't know if I want to say to Earth, um, but don't just take it for granted. I think one of the things that I did while I was in Alaska too was spend a lot of time outside and Alaska is one of the cleanest places that I've ever been because the people out there just have a connection to it and they take care of it. And I literally would see people that if they saw you like littering or drop something, they would either pick it up or they would say something to you and they'd say, hey, pick that up because it's important that we take care of like our national parks. And there's so much that I learned out there too. Um, I kind of just learned how to be like on my own and I learned how to do things for myself as well as um, just kind of like not be so surrounded by earthly things like cell phones and things like that. Um, I really enjoyed being able to not have cell phone service or be able to even just go and put my phone away and just go sit at a lake and set up a hammock and just enjoy enjoy my time up there and there's a lot that you learn from from moving away from home or or going somewhere new and learning from cultures and people out there yeah well alaska is one heck of a place to go off for the first time on your own and learn how to grow up and i think i think it probably did a lot of good for you i agree so i think that's a good place to stop so let's call it today and uh I think maybe let's have uh, let's have you lead us out of the show today. Can you tell people you know w- you know where they can find us and, and what we're up to? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we're on pretty much all the all the social medias that people use. You can find us at at Real Bushwhackers. Um, we have uh, Bushwhacker Squatch and Bushwhacker Shop that you can follow us on Instagram. You have our, our website um, that I mentioned earlier, but I'll plug it again because I feel like I'm pretty good at it. Um, take a minute to go to your web browser and type in www. Uh, 
realbushwhackers.com. Press that enter button and uh, go go explore our website. You can follow us. Um, you can you can find out what we're all about, and you can learn a little bit more about us. Um, I think, I mean, you can find all of our personal social medias on there as well. Um, send us a message and get outside with us and come have fun and uh, get get involved in the community. That's great. You forgot one though. Subscribe to this YouTube channel. True. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcast, and uh, just stay tuned because we got a lot in the works and we're growing. And um, I think it's something that everybody wants to be a part of and enjoys enjoys learning and watching. Yep, we got a lot on our plate, and I think having you on board is really going to help us accomplish a lot that we didn't think we'd get to this year. I'm so excited to be here. It'll be fun. Well, buddy. It. We got cheers of pink juice. Absolutely. Finish it off. I think that's a wrap. That is a wrap.